Um, So today's scripture reading is from Daniel 6. Uh, We're going to read from Daniel chapter 6, 1 through 9. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for a complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Daniel 6. Um, Anyone not heard of this story before? Just curious. Anybody? Like, really? It's just one of those stories that uh, people are really familiar with. and uh, <clears throat> even just a couple weeks ago when I was serving in the children's ministry, um, I, I was, what age was that? I think there were three and four-year-olds and we were reading this children's Bible and like that story's right there. And it's this cute, cutesy story about Daniel and the lion's den and stuff like that. But I'm going to debunk a lot of that this morning. Um, it's not a cutesy child's story, even though it's something that's really familiar. Because oftentimes in the children's Bible, it's, presented as some moral story, right, where Daniel's like, hey, he's the upstanding guy, and he's so brave and courageous, and be, be like a Daniel, dare to be Daniel, you know, that whole thing. Um, and, and it's talking about being good and strong like Daniel, which are really, really valuable lessons, but it's not the central message of the chapter, nor is it the central message of the book of Daniel. Daniel was written to exiled Jews living in Babylonian captivity and then under Medo-Persian rule. They were separated from their homeland. They were separated from their families. Many had given up on their faith during those decades, wondering if God was even real anymore or it was for them, thinking, why waste my time worshiping a God that has me here under captivity? And we're so pathetic. We are a slave race. We've been a slave race ever since I could remember, way back to the days of Egypt, and here we are again. And so Daniel is living in this period, and he experienced what these people experienced. He was separated from his family. He was given a new name. He was made to learn their language, their culture, their philosophy, 
their religion. He was completely re-educated, and he was confronted with every temptation that would pull him away from his faith, including dietary changes in his diet. And so all the externals of his faith were taken from him. So for example, the temple was destroyed. A lot of those contents in the temple were taken, put into the Babylonian treasury. And so these external signs of faith being publicly practiced were no more. But here's what the book of Daniel tells us, is that God is the same yesterday. He's the God that's the same today and tomorrow. We have persecuted brothers and sisters all over the world, experiencing persecution, but God remains the same. He remains God, and our access to him is the same. Many were attempted to abandon their faith uh, back then, and they did, and it's the same thing as today. Many question their deliverance. Many question what was going on in their life with the circumstances of their life, questioning, is God even real if I have to deal with all of this? And yes, he delivered us from the Egyptians, but then we got captured by the Babylonians. Yes, he delivered us by the Babylonians, but now we're under the Medo-Persians. And so look at us now. So we go through these difficult times questioning God when God is still God. He's still sovereign. He still has his plans to be fulfilled with his purposes. Whenever we question how God can allow certain world leaders to take office, whenever we question certain laws and bills that pass that we just don't understand why they would ever pass, whenever we question decisions that have been made throughout history, God is still in control, and God is never out of control. And so, is this a cute little story for children? No, it's not. I mean, if we're just looking at Daniel, think about this. This is a falsely accused elderly man who's sentenced to death because he chose his allegiance to God over obedience to the state through this arbitrary law that was made by the Medo-Persian government. Cute kid story, right? Like, who are we now? How is our faith now? We can get an idea of who we will become spiritually by who we are right now today. And so you look at Daniel, who was consistent as a youth, who kept his dietary practices, and, and now decades later, he's well into his 80s. He's, he's still faithful. Daniel was a leader in government throughout the different regimes. In the Babylonian Empire, in the Medo-Persian Empire, he, he was always in leadership. He served the state, but he didn't compromise who he was. He didn't withdraw from public service. He actually entered into public service, but he stayed true to who he was. He stayed faithful throughout his life as he faced temptations through his entire life. And you notice that he's in his late 80s now, and he's still facing temptations. Isn't that so encouraging for all of you who are in their 20s and 30s? 60, 70 years more of temptation. Isn't this just a wonderful, encouraging story? You'd hope that your temptations lessen as you age, right? As you get older. But it doesn't happen because here he's facing death. But he wasn't going to turn away from God. Not now. He was tempted to turn away from God his entire life. Imagine when he came in as a, as, as a teenager, 
and all the girls that were before him in the Babylonian Empire. He's, you know, he's a noble, royal kid brought in like, hey, you can have all this. You can have all you want to drink. You can have all you want to eat. You can do whatever you want. It's all at your disposal. This is the king's court. You can do whatever you want. But he lived a holy life, meaning not the common life, right? The antonym to holy is common. You just live like everybody else. But he's holy, set aside for God. And he's not going to turn away at this time. It's just like us. We face temptations our entire life, right? There's not a time where you didn't. You face temptation all the time. But will we remain forever faithful? So um, Sylvia read verses 1 through 9 for us. I'm not going to reread those. But um, just looking at the section of here between verses 1 and 3, we see that Daniel became distinguished in the most powerful empire known to human history at that time. And in order to be the most powerful empire, King Darius needed to ensure that everyone must be united in his kingdom. Otherwise, he would start losing territory and he would start losing power. So how does an empire keep, ensure that it will not lose territory or power? It's the same answer throughout all of human history. It's no trick question. It is taxes. It's the same today, right? It's the same. It's taxes. So Darius sets these satraps throughout the entire empire to ensure that his kingdom doesn't suffer any loss. You make sure everyone is taxed. And so he places Daniel in this high official position over the entire kingdom. And they can't find fault in Daniel, verse 4, right? They can't find fault in Daniel. It's, it's great. It would be absolutely fantastic if, you, we could be, if we could find somebody serving in government like a Daniel. Don't you think? You can't find fault. I mean, that would be great. Faithful, no error or fault was found. I mean, why wouldn't people want someone like Daniel to be a high official? Because they're politicians. And politicians create smear campaigns so that they can get into power and get into a position that they want. But here, they can't find anything against Daniel. Everyone around him saw who Daniel was, through his character, he was great at his job, but his peers despised him because Daniel had the top job, which meant they couldn't get the top job. And so they're looking from the inside out, actually, because there they see this exile from Judah, this old dude. Old dude, so age discrimination happening here too. Old dude, racial discrimination also, a Judean. All this discrimination happening against Daniel, why is he there? He's from a conquered people, the Babylonians, who we conquered. We are the Medo-Persians. We just conquered the Babylonians, and the Babylonians conquered those guys. Why are we submitting to that guy? He's a nobody. He's like several layers removed. He's even worse than a Babylonian. So they manipulate the situation so they can find fault with Daniel. And we look at this next section here, verses 5 through 7, and it talks about this law, which is actually quite arbitrary. And it says all these high officials came to agreement, but is that true? No, because your most high official isn't in this conversation, Daniel. He does not agree to this. 
And besides, when does government agree on anything? I mean, doesn't this smell fishy? Well, they all agreed. I mean, come on. No one agrees on everything. So they all came against Daniel, the follower of the Most High. They lied to the king, telling him that all the officials agree on this king. Everybody agrees on this. But, you know, Daniel doesn't, obviously. So that's a lie. And the king goes along with this because it kind of strokes his ego because it's like, yeah, I'm, I'll be the only one people can bow before? That sounds really great. Yes, let's make that a law. That sounds really, really great. Then we get into the next section here, and I'll start reading from here. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before God. You and I choose the gods, the God we serve. And if people don't agree with the gods or gods that we serve, they will force that upon us. It will be forced upon us. There, there will always be a morality forced upon us, whether we like it or not. It's, it's either going to be ones that we've arrived with our own conviction or something coming from without. We will all be forced to serve something. And when people don't like who or what you serve, there, there is a chance that people will push or pull you into their way of thinking. And so here Daniel was framed. He was forced to make a choice as to the God or gods he would serve. Daniel was this innocent person. Innocent. He's condemned to death because of this arbitrary law. And Daniel was condemned to death through this deceptive plot of these other high officials. And doesn't this sound familiar when we fast forward into the story of Jesus? Because didn't that happen to him? when there was a plot against him. Now, when this plot started to unfold, where did Daniel go? And you notice it's the same place where Jesus went. He went to God and he prayed. I want to now take an opportunity for our church to pray together because we are living in a divided nation. And so let's take a couple of minutes to pray for wisdom for our current leaders, for our nation. Let's pray for the Lord's will to be done. And I'm just suggesting that we get into groups of five people or so and, and we pray together. Now I ask that when you pray that you don't get on your soapbox of where you stand politically on things or things like that. This is simply just to pray for leaders and it's simply to pray for the Lord's will. We're not here to pray for prayers of division or speaking ill of people or different politics or anything like that. We're simply praying for the Lord's will to be done, praying for our leaders. And this will take humility on, on our part because obviously we all think we know what should be done. But I'm asking you to like pull your opinion away from it and let's pray for the wisdom of our country's leaders because they absolutely need it. And we're on God's side, so we're going to pray for his will. So we're only going to take a couple minutes to do that, and then we're going to then move into a couple minutes of prayer for Oakland. 
Now, I realize that some of you don't live in this city or work in this city, but so feel free to pray for the city that you do reside in or for the city that you do work in. But there's a specific thing in Oakland that I'd like us to pray for, and it's this looming teacher strike that is planned for OUSD schools, which is planned for Tuesday. Um, We've been talking to local churches in the area and parachurch organizations as to how we're going to support the community at this time. And we're in need of that because if you can imagine thousands of, maybe even tens of thousands of truant children out on the streets without plans as to what they're going to do. So we've been working out with different parachurch organizations, been talking with Harbor House, been talking with Tribe and Missio Day to use our gym to house as many kids as we can. Obviously, we can't take all of them. It really depends on the amount of chaperones that we have and volunteers we have to make it safe. And there's a screening process that all of those organizations have as well. And that if they're coming from single family homes, single parent homes, um, or if they can't afford that daycare, uh, as most people around the area, probably towards the hills, probably can, um, they'll be screened so that we take the ones that need it most. And that's how we're going to do it. And it's going to be based off of how many volunteers we have. So if you feel led to do that, please let me know, and we can direct you to the folks that are heading that up. But that's going to be the second thing that we're going to be praying for, and we're going to take just a couple minutes to pray for that. So the first couple minutes, let's, let's pray for our nation. If you guys can get in just small groups, five or so people, we'll just do a couple minutes. I'll close it out, and then we'll move on to praying for Oakland. Thanks. Lord, we thank you for hearing our prayers. And just as Daniel went to you in prayer, not because of this injunction necessarily, because he always had this discipline of prayer in his life anyway, but in times of need, he went to you as well. And we come before you, God, asking for you to give wisdom to our national leaders in our local city leaders as well. We pray for your will to be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Um, just felt the power in the room, and I think uh, the Lord will be answering. Let's pick up uh, Daniel in uh, verse 12. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. So we see that Daniel continues in prayer. And so these high officials mix some lie with mostly truth, actually, which is how people kind of get away with lies, right? They, they tell a lot of truth and then they slip in some lie there. 
because it's absolutely true that Daniel prayed to God when this injunction was signed and that no one was to make a petition to anyone except for the king. But it was a lie that Daniel didn't pay attention to the king because there's no way that Daniel gets to the position he got to without paying attention to the king. And the king knew who Daniel was. Now, it's really interesting here because it's not like Daniel publicly went against the king and said, oh, you signed that king, I'm going to go to the public square and I'm going to pray before you and I'm going to disrespect you in front of everybody. He doesn't do that. He was just simply doing what he always did. He prayed. It was his discipline in his own private life that he prayed. He wasn't doing anything publicly to disrespect the king. And it's the other people who are conspiring against Daniel and his prayer life knowing that he does this. And so they're invading his private life, his privacy. And this is not what Daniel did in his prayer life. This is not about that. This, this chapter is not about that. It's, it's more about these guys who are conspiring against Daniel and spying on him and trying to like reveal something that is more than what it really is. But crisis reveals who we are on the inside, doesn't it? Crisis reveals who we are inside of our homes, inside of our hearts, how we interact with the people closest to us. And so the question is, is God glorified in our lives at all times? Or are we just looking for something for ourselves when we petition to God? Or are we looking for self-glorification? or for others to recognize our spiritual life because we pray this much. How are we communing with God during crisis or during times of indifference or times of peace? Daniel was committed to God regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the crisis he was experiencing or when he was not experiencing crisis. He, he went to pray to God in prayer as he just usually did. He was committed to communing with God, committed to prayer no matter it be in times of need or in times of fullness. In verse 14, then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. So you can see that the king really liked this guy, and he knows that Daniel is not guilty, that the king was just caught up in his own law. And we can read from here that the king really valued Daniel. He distressed over it all day, work, trying to work out, how am I going to figure out how to rescue Daniel from this? And those other high officials, they weren't taking part in some like harmless prank. This was someone who was going to lose his life, an innocent person. And this is what the evil one does. The evil one destroys anything representative of the kingdom of God. And at the heart of the empires of the world throughout history, there's this hatred that looks to destroy the kingdom of God. And you look back to Genesis and it speaks of this, Genesis 3. Daniel 6, back to that in verse 15. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually, not just because he was in need all the time, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Things look like they're done with Daniel. This is it. 
who faithfully worshipped God, served kings of Babylon and, and this Persian king. It's this really sad ending to this faithful, innocent man who's now in his 80s. But we read verse 17, and again, it should strike some similarity to another stone and another sealed tomb. Right? Matthew 26 and 27. Much like Jesus' accusers who wrongfully accused an innocent man, put him to death, put him in this tomb of death, sealing it, setting guards to it. Easter is coming. We'll save that for that season. We'll continue on with Daniel 6. Verse 18. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. This is the destructive power of lions, and it's symbolic of the destructive power of the world. When you look at lions, for example, whenever you pull up roaring lion in the scriptures, you'll find that it's always destruction in mind. And then we're given a picture of the lion lying, the lying, tongue twister, the lying, the lion lying down with the lamb, right? I'm not going to use that one again. It's in the book of Isaiah. And that is ultimately what God is going to accomplish. And so we see the picture of the roaring lion and a peaceful lion. And Daniel's deliverance is a, a picture of the promise of what God will do with the universe. Because here you have these roaring lions in this den, and then this picture of Daniel's just at peace with them. He's lying there with them. Because lions destroy, they consume, but will be found with peace with lambs. And so God brings the power of his fulfilled kingdom into our current adversity, which is what we just prayed for. We're praying for his kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For us, for our nation, for our, nation, for our city, this is what we desire. A similar thing happened at the fiery furnace with Daniel's friends where, where there was no sign of harm done to them. And rather, what we find is that judgment fell on those who attempted to destroy God's kingdom. And that carries on to this present day. It, comes, it carries on to the future judgment that will fall on those who attempt to destroy God's kingdom. And you notice that judgment fell on those who accused Daniel. And this was a Persian law, which was not just to be paid by a perpetrator who was found guilty. It fell on their entire family. This is Persian law. This is not Judaic law. This is not God's law. This is Persian law, that when they're saying like their whole family was killed, that's Persian law. But there is something to keep in mind about deliverance, and it's this. We can't experience or see deliverance without the destruction. 
without the crisis, without the chaos, right? You, you can't experience this without this. So you can't have the deliverance. So when people are saying, God, if this is true, then you can't be true. If this is happening in my life, if you're allowing these things to happen, you can't be true. But it's actually the other way around. Because you experience these things, therefore this is true. Because you can't have this without this. So you, we see this all over the Bible, right? Noah, ark. Moses, Red Sea. We, we, we see this. Daniel, lion's den. Jesus, death and resurrection. We, we see this. You, you have to experience the, the brokenness, the disaster, the destruction in order to see the deliverance. So when someone says, God can't be true because I only see this, it's because you only see this. You have to be able to see the deliverance. And it's, it's, it's shown throughout the entire Bible. Noah, Moses, Jesus, Daniel, Daniel's friends. It's shown all throughout the Bible. Jesus despised, rejected, but will return to deliver his people from this brokenness and this chaos in their lives. All in the context of punishment, judgment, destruction to help us see that God is in control at all times, all times, and God delivers from this judgment. You can't have the deliverance without this. There's nothing to be delivered from. Verse 24, And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives, again, Persian law. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lion. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Again, there's very few people that haven't heard this story before, and I, I kind of, and I'm envious of you because it's not this cutesy kid's book where you're just talking about dare to be a Daniel and be good and courageous, that you heard the real thing. Just like this pagan king witnessed, experienced the real thing, that he recognized that our living God is the true most high God. May we continue to pray for the leaders of our nation, of our city. Our, our faith extends beyond just our own personal faith with God, even though that is really, really important. But to realize that we aren't to be consumed by what's happening around us, but to pray to God about all this that is happening to us and that his will be done. To trust in God, that God changes the hearts of people, just like he changed the heart of Paul. He changes people's hearts today, and when we are looking down, actually we need to look up. To not... Is there like a rat here or something? Like, scary. <laughs> 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 
Don't wallow in the past. (laughs) Or worry about our future. But to look up in the present, whatever we're experiencing today, whether that's we are in a time of crisis, or maybe you're just indifferent. You're not in a crisis. Things aren't great. But again, like Daniel, he just prayed. That was his life. It wasn't because he's in a crisis. That's what he just did. Or if you're experiencing a time of great joy or peace, still. God was in control in Daniel's day. God is in control today. And may God forgive us of our doubt that he's in control. The God who always accompanies us and fulfills his promises. Who delivers us from the destruction. Let's pray. Lord, we are in much desperate need of you in the times that we are living today. Just a time of much unsettledness, a time of much natural disasters, um, things that people are experiencing in our local city with this strike looming. Um, There's just a lot of things that we are needing to look up to you for. So God, I, I lift up anyone here who is in doubt and I pray, God, that they would supernaturally experience your presence in their life. That just to be humble enough to ask you into their life. Just to take that chance to ask you, Jesus, into their life and see what happens. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.